0: At a sophisticated cocktail party in new york one evening a person used the word fornication prompting a proper society woman to say isn't it a shame in this modern age that we still use words like fornication or adultery or debauchery to this another person rejoined, no it's not a shame we still use those words it's a shame people still commit these acts well the apostle paul faced a similar situation in the city of corinth A lot of the morally terrible sexual habits of Greek culture were carrying over even into the life of the church. Paul knew he had to say something. And today on Groundwork, we'll see what he said. Stay tuned.
1: Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney.
0: And I'm Scott Jose. Uh, and Daryl we are almost right in the middle now of a planned seven part series on 1 Corinthians and this is the third program of seven and we we noted Daryl in the first program that it's pretty obvious as you read 1 Corinthians that Paul is replying to a letter they first sent to him In which they asked a really, really long list of questions and in which they listed a fairly long list of issues and controversies that were going on that they wanted Paul's opinion about. Well, it's kind of crazy because I consider it's
1: got to be Paul's FAQ where they asked him things and he says, these are the things that you wrote me about. Paul actually is not pulling any punches today. He's going right for the issue they asked about in sexual immorality.
0: Yep. And this program, and actually the next one too, Daryl, will be dealing with a number of things that touch on various areas of uh, sexuality. I suppose the church could fall into one of two extremes. It says nothing at all about sexuality and just lets things slide. Or it says only things about sexuality. And sometimes the church has the reputation of being obsessed with only one kind of sin and that's sexual sin, and the church doesn't care about anything else. But that's not really true.
1: Well, the saying goes that sin has no degrees. Right, Sin is all bad to God because he's completely and perfectly holy. I've also seen not only churches that have gone to talk about sex far too much and and emphasize this thing, but I've also seen where churches got... They don't talk about it enough because it's such a taboo subject Mm. and there are people who are struggling that have no counsel or no way to move forward.
0: Right. Neither extreme is helpful. But it is also good to notice that when Paul, he doesn't really do it here in this part of Corinthians, but there are a number of places in the New Testament in Paul's letters where he makes a list of sins that that shouldn't be in the church and sexual ones are in there. But you know what? They're right next to gossip, greed, greed jealousy, anger, drinking too much, eating too much, gluttony, the sexual sins are in the mix with everything else. So if the church sometimes pays attention to only sexual sins, even Paul seems to say that's wrong, we need to take greedy people seriously, too. We need to take people who are gossips seriously, too. All of that, as you said, Daryl, all of that's a problem to God and should be a problem to us.
1: Well, I like to call them grape clusters Hmm. because he groups a group of things together that are all bad Um, So make sure that there's no hierarchical problem there. But he also does it on the positive side where the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness and such. So he's clustering these things together so people will know that if you know these things to be bad, then sexual sin is actually in the midst of that. All of them are bad.
0: Right. But Paul does need to talk about some sexual sins because uh, in the question letter that the Corinthians sent to him, we find out something in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 5, which is properly shocking, I think. It turns out there's a member of the Corinthian church who has formed a sexual relationship with his mother-in-law. That's surprising. But more surprising is the church was letting it go and they weren't saying anything about
1: it. Church discipline, elusive in this category. It's really unclear why they didn't address this. Um, I do know that there's a difference between the way the world addresses things. Sometimes they applaud these kinds of things. Mm. But in this situation, because it's a church member, we have a standard that we need to address. And Paul is in the process of making it clear this is not okay. This
0: is not okay. And, yeah, you're right. We don't have any idea why they would let this go. Maybe he was an influential member. Stakeholder. Yeah, yeah, stakeholder. He might have been wealthy. He might have been the kind of person you didn't want to cross, right, because he could make trouble for you. Who knows? But in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about that at the beginning. But then here's what he writes starting at verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter... By the way, that refers to a previous letter from First Corinthians. lost letter. Yeah, we said that there's at least three or four letters to the Corinthians, and we only have two. So Paul's referring to a previous letter. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of the world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. I mean, in that case, you'd have to leave the world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister but is sexually immoral or greedy. Do not even eat with such people. So Paul is saying, Daryl, look, you can't break off all your connections to everybody who's not in the church, you could never witness to them. But inside the church, come on. It's a right. different it's a it should be a different ball game.
1: So it's pretty hard to be in the world and not of the world if you're not in the world. So it's not pertaining to people who are not believers. You wouldn't be able to leave your home. You wouldn't even be able to leave and do anything. But if it's the church people, we have to actually address this issue because if it's a sin issue in the church, it's kind of like a little disease that is going to infect things. And we have to inoculate it and deal with it immediately or it will spread like gangrene.
0: Uh, in fact, just a little earlier, uh, Paul writes, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. So we might say one bad apple spoils the whole spoils bushel. bushel. Yep. Uh, it's basically the same idea. And what Paul says, do not eat with such people, he probably means the Lord's Supper or including them in the love feasts that the early church had yeah. which included the Lord's Supper because uh, you know he, he doesn't want the whole body to fall into ruins.
1: So my understanding, Scott, is that there's relationship with God and there's fellowship with God. So when we have a relationship because we're children of God but this sexually immoral situation breaks the fellowship of the whole body right. and we must deal with that because that is gonna be even worse if they're not addressing it. So that's the problem. You don't have a potluck with someone who, who has a sinful life and you just ignore what they did and just keep going. You have to address it in the area of accountability.
0: Right. My friend Neil Planiga has pointed out, Daryl, that the New Testament seems to have this idea that we in the church are going to be regularly in the process of rebuking each other in love. Uh, but we don't do that so much, right? We don't rebuke very well. So We're much. afraid people will leave the church. They'll go to the church down the street. So Paul seems to think rebuking and confronting each other is going to be standard practice, and we shy away from it for all kinds of reasons. But the reason you do it is now we could think of Jesus, right, in Matthew 18. Kicking somebody completely out of the church should be the last resort, right? We want to win this sister or this brother back. We want to mm-hmm. confront them in love show them the error, uh, show them the damage they're doing to the wider body, and then hope and hope and hope that they'll say, forgive me, I'll stop. And now they're restored. That should be the goal. But if that doesn't work – then we gotta, we're back to that bad apple spoiling the whole batch.
1: And unfortunately, people seem to forget the profession of faith that they make when they stand up and say that they will submit to the authority mm. of the church. And that is what this situation is. And there are not, not only this problem is happening, but there are plenty of other problems happening. And in just a moment, we'll move on to the next issue in Corinthians. So stay tuned.
0: What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. I'm Scott Jose, along with Daryl Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork and this third episode in a seven part series on Paul's letter to the 1st Corinthians. So, we just saw Paul dealing with this man who was living with his mother in law in an immoral way. So, now we turn to 1st Corinthians 6. Here's what's next
1: If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? But instead... One brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already.
0: So, Daryl, here's a, another one of many moments in First Corinthians where you read this and your first response is, what? <laughs> uh, so we had it in the last chapter, it's like, what? There's a man who's having a sexual relationship with his mother-in-law? And now it's like these fellow Christians – and again, remember what we said in the uh, first program of the series, Darrell. The congregation of Corinth was probably fewer than 100 people. This is not a group of thousands and they're holding each other into court on a regular basis. What is going on?
1: Well, they have no shortage of issues. And (laughs) and it's interesting how Paul is showing them this argument. He's like, well, one day you're going to judge angels. One day you're going to judge the world. And you're telling me you don't have enough intelligent people around you to judge these (laughs) trivial cases. Why can't you handle this in-house as a family of God and not allow unbelievers who have a whole different standard, a whole different worldview to judge your cases? That's not going to help the body. That's not going to help you a relationship and fellowship either.
0: exactly. You know, it's interesting, Daryl. I mean, so the issue of filing lawsuits against each other is uh, strange enough. But what's interesting here, Daryl, and he Paul does this all through 1 Corinthians, but he does it elsewhere. Sort of Paul's rhetorical strategy is this re- oft-repeated question, do you not know? And basically he's saying, do you not know who you are? In Christ, right? You're going to judge the world. You're going to judge angels. And what? You can't settle a property dispute in the church, right? You can't settle something about where somebody's loading zone is in front of their store. You're supposed to judge the angels someday. Anyway, what he is saying is you're baptized believers. Your spiritual zip code is in Christ. That's where you live. This is who you are. You need to remember that and then act like it.
1: Identity is going to be central From this point on, with Paul talking to the Corinthian believers, I think it's helpful for us to remember, too, we don't do to make ourselves who we are out of who we are, we do.
0: Right. And oh, so Scott, good.
1: if we understand that, then our behavior should address accordingly how to handle situations. And in this case, lawsuits. We, if we're forgiving one another, if we're confessing our sins to one another, and if we're doing Matthew 18 correctly, I'm bringing my ought to you, mm-hmm. and that should be something that we can handle as believers who are spirit-filled. But sometimes we need other people in the body to hold us accountable to that. But going outside of the body, that's kinda out of bounds.
0: Very good point. You know, when I think I've mentioned this before on Groundwork at some point in the past or maybe more than once, but at Calvin Seminary where I teach, we don't ask students to preach on the letters of the epistles in the New Testament, particularly of Paul, until they're in their last year and they've got some preaching experience under their belt. Because Paul issues a lot of commands. There are a lot of imperatives, a lot of orders. Do this, don't do that in his epistles. And if you're not theologically sophisticated, that could lend itself to sort of a works righteousness. legalism. Yeah. God's going to grade you on the curve. You get into heaven if you're better than the next person. You know, it's all about getting a 4.0 grade point average with God. But that's not true because in Paul, the indicative always precedes the imperative, which is to say, you've been saved by grace. Boom. Now that you've been saved, act like it. So Paul never says behave so God will love you, he says God already loved you, so behave and act accordingly. Not, as you said, don't become what you aren't, be who you are, which is baptized.
1: So Watchman Nee wrote a wonderful book called Sit, Walk, Stand, Hmm. based on the book of Ephesians. It's one of Paul's epistles. And in that book, he talks about sitting. In the fact that God has already forgiven you, that His grace is abundant to you, you walk in the righteousness that He's afforded you, and you get to stand against opposition. And so the idea is that the locus is always in what God has done first and what He's afforded you, and the gifts that He's given you. And out of that, you live a lifestyle. But there also needs to be an understanding that this is actually bigger than me versus you or one person in a lawsuit against another, Scott. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that.
0: The fact that Paul always has to say, you know, be who you are. Do you not know? Do you not know? I think we all, I think in the last program, Darryl, you talked about kind of looking in the mirror. And when you look in the mirror, do you see a sanctified believer, a sacred person to God or not? You should. You should see that, and that should change everything, including how you treat a brother, even if you have an argument. Exactly. Find a Christ-like way to settle. Don't haul each other into court and so forth. So I know I need it. I know probably you need it. We all need that reminder. Do you not know uh, who you are? So we got to remember that, you know, we're walking around as temples of the Holy Spirit, which is going to come up in the next, last part of the program, too, in a, just a few minutes. But uh, the other thing I just wanted to note before we wrap up this segment, Daryl is that last verse you read, verse seven, where Paul says that the fact that they've having lawsuits means, he said, you have been completely defeated already. Curious. Yeah. I mean, you only talk about defeat if there's a battle going on, right?
1: Exactly. So that's what I was getting at earlier when I said there's something bigger going on. This isn't just about me suing another believer or believer suing me, but there is a spiritual warfare battle going on for my very soul. Not only is it external, but there's internal because I have to war with my members now that I'm a new believer, the old nature is still trying to take over in me. So the spiritual warfare battle is on on a variety of fronts. But if I use the world's methods, then I lost already.
0: Exactly, Paul is basically saying here, you think that property dispute with your brother Joe is a big deal? Uh, The spiritual warfare going on with the devil for your soul is a way bigger deal and how you respond to Joe is going to determine how that battle is going to turn out. You're acting like you're defeated already, Paul says. Don't let that be the bottom line for you. As you said, Darrell, there are much bigger stakes going on here. Our, Our battle is not against flesh and blood, Paul will say elsewhere.
1: What's interesting about that is the reminder that Jesus has already won that battle. Right. So there, because he gave us the victory, we actually have the opportunity to address our brother Joe and make sure that we give him the grace he needs in a grievance or whatever it may be. Maybe I need to seek the forgiveness. But the fact that the victory has already been won in Jesus is something that can comfort him and comfort us.
0: Exactly. Well, uh, kind of along the same lines, uh, we're gonna, Paul's going to loop back to some things about sexual immorality from the end of 1 Corinthians 6. And we'll take a look at that as we wrap up the program.
1: We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney.
0: And I'm Scott Jose. And Daryl, let's dig right back into Scripture and listen to these powerful words from the end of 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul writes, and now he's quoting somebody as he begins this, um, something maybe people say, I have the right to do anything, you say. But not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he
1: who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor
0: God with your bodies. And another what moment. Uh, Some of the men in the Corinthian church still were doing what they did before they became Christians. And that is now and again going to the local brothel, apparently, um, and sleeping with prostitutes. Well, there's a lot going on here. I mean, Paul does talk a little bit about Christian freedom here, right? People say, well, I, I have the right to do anything. and But Paul said, yeah, but not really. <laughs> some things uh, hurt people. Some things bring other people down. So, you know, you can't be uh, casual where these matters are concerned. As we said earlier uh, in the previous segment, Daryl, there's there's something bigger going on than just a lawsuit between these believers. There's a spiritual battle going on. There's something bigger going on with our bodies uh, when we are sexually immoral or visit a prostitute, and Paul points that out.
1: So, Scott, in America, we don't care anything about freedom, right? Hmm. Freedom is a big priority in the very birth of this nation, the liberties and the Bill of Rights and these things. And so we could really lean into this whole freedom aspect. If we're not careful, we'll realize that we'll bulldoze right over our fellow believers who are Mm. next to us that need us to be an example. But what God wants from the Corinthians, and I think he also wants it from us, God, is that there is an exclusive relationship with God and believers that have to do with their own bodies and how they honor him and everything.
0: Exactly. I think three times in that passage we just read, we saw that again, do Do you you not not know, know, right? Do you not know? Paul's reminding them who they are. And in this case, the do you not know is you are one with Christ. It's sort of like you are married to Jesus. You're you're one flesh with Jesus. And so what Paul says is if you go make yourself one flesh with a prostitute— not to be too crass about it, but you bring Jesus into bed with you with that prostitute, and I'm pretty sure you don't want to do that. Um, that's a little bit on the uh, awkward side, to put it mildly. So, again, reminding people of who they are in Christ means that there are things you just can't do uh, and must not do to because you're going to bring Jesus low. So don't you know? <laughs> you're one with Jesus. Act like it.
1: Yes, Scott, it's very important. And I teach this when I'm preaching and I'm teaching to uh, not only teens and youth, but also everyone else that your decisions, your behaviors, your actions, and even the locations and where you go because the Holy Spirit lives within you. Mm. You're actually involving him in these actions and these thoughts and these behaviors. And why not do things that will honor him with your actions, with your words, with your thoughts, instead of doing things that you know are totally against what he doesn't want for us. And in this case, it's adultery, it's fornication. He doesn't want us to unite our members with these old practices that were never beneficial in the first place, even though we have the "quote unquote" liberty to do so. And
0: you know, when I was a kid, I was still close enough to the time when, in my particular tradition, we had made going to the movies okay after decades and decades <laughs> of not being allowed to go to the movie. And I remember my mom, uh, when before we had started to go see movies, said something. I suppose her mother probably said to her, and "It was like, you know, would you want to be in a movie theater when Jesus comes again?" It's sort of like, you know, that was a scary. <laughs> tactic, right? But what you're saying is that you bring Jesus with you into the movie theater anyway. So if you're going to see a bad movie or something, you shouldn't do that anyway. You shouldn't have to be startled that Jesus would come again in the middle of the movie. You're bringing Jesus in with you anyway. You're bringing the Holy Spirit in with you anyway. And that ought to influence where you go and where you don't go. Because Paul says, you don't belong to yourself anymore, right? We can think of the great reform confession, the Heidelberg Catechism. Yes. What is your only comfort? That I belong, body and soul and life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm not my own. Um, I was bought with a price.
1: Uh, The fact that I am not my own, it lets me know not only do I belong to him, but he belongs to me. Mm. So then I have to live a life of an example because he's calling me to live that life of union with him. So we make a profession and we make a confession and we repent and things like that, Scott. But when we live a union life with Christ, we realize that everywhere we go, he is and that he is with us. This is why Paul is trying to make the point that they need to make sure they honor God in their mortal bodies, because if God's got the receipt, so to speak, because he paid for your body, you can't do what you want to do with it. You have to do what honors him with it because it's his now.
0: You know, I think I've uh, quoted this before, uh, but Samuel Johnson, the great writer, said one time that all of us need more often to be reminded than instructed. In other (laughs) words, most of the time we know what's right. Most of the time we know what's true. We just need to be reminded to do it and to follow through on it. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's reminding the Corinthians, look, when you signed on to follow Jesus, when you submitted to the waters of baptism— You became someone else's property, as it were. You you became not a slave, but a brother to Jesus, a a child of God, adopted into the divine family. Remember who you are, Paul says. Remember who you are and then act like it. So, you know, do you know who you are? We can all ask each other and and ourselves and we must say, yes, I know. I belong to Jesus and thanks be to God.
1: Thank you for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We hope you'll join us again next time as we dig deeper into the book of 1 Corinthians and look at the issues Paul addresses in chapters 7 and 8. Connect with us now at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork.
0: Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries, Visit reframeministries.org for more information and find more resources to encourage your faith. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney. Our recording engineer is Dodd Morris and our senior producer is Courtney Jacob.